Are you looking to reach your full potential and achieve success in business and in life? Want only tried and tested guidance from people who have truly made an impact? You have come to the right place. Welcome to Five Questions with Dan Shabell. New York Times bestselling author Dan Shabell distills the most actionable and tangible advice from a variety of world-class humans, including entrepreneurs, authors, Olympians, politicians, billionaires, Nobel Prize winners, TED speakers, celebrities, astronauts, and more. Inspirational guidance, practical advice, and concrete solutions. Our 15-minute power chat starts now. Welcome to the 23rd episode of Five Questions with Dan Shawbell. As your host, my goal is to curate the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is the first Canadian astronaut to walk in space, Chris Hadfield. Born in Sarnia, Ontario, Hadfield was raised on a corn farm and became interested in flying at a young age and in being an astronaut at age 9 when he saw the Apollo 11 moon landing on television. He attended White Oaks Secondary School in Ontario until his senior year and then graduated as an Ontario scholar from Milton District High School in 1977. After graduating from high school in 1978, he joined the Canadian Armed Forces and spent two years at Royal Roads Military College, followed by two years at the Royal Military College. In 1983, when I was born, he took honors as the top graduate from basic jet training at CFB Moose Jaw and then went on to train as a tactical fighter pilot with 410 Tactical Fighter Operational Training Squadron. After completing his fighter training, Hadfield flew CF-18 Hornets with 425 Tactical Fighter Squadron, flying intercept missions for NORAD. Hadfield has flown over 70 different types of aircrafts. Hadfield was selected to become one of four new Canadian astronauts from a field of 5,330 applicants in June 1992. Hadfield is a civilian CSA astronaut having retired as a colonel from the Canadian Armed Forces in 2003 after 25 years of military service. He was chief of robotics for the NASA Astronaut Office at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas from 2003 to 2006 and was the chief of international space station operations from 2006 to 2008. NASA announced in 2010 that Hatfield would become the first Canadian commander of the International Space Station, leading Expedition 35 after its launch on December 19, 2012. In June 2013, he retired and wrote his autobiography entitled An Astronaut's Guide to life on Earth. Why did you become an astronaut in the first place, and what did you originally want to accomplish by doing that? You know, I started becoming an astronaut uh, with my 10th birthday, and I watched the first guys walk in the moon the summer that I was just about to turn 10, and I, I just thought that, you know, Neil Armstrong's the coolest guy in the world, and, uh, and I'm, you know, how, how can I do that? I want to be an astronaut. You know, I started trying to make the right decisions even then, that someday maybe when, when someone was saying, hey, who here wants to be an astronaut, I can stick my hand up highest and, and get selected. As to what I wanted to accomplish, of course, that evolves over the years. At first, I just wanted, you know, wanted the experience. Since then, yeah, I was an astronaut for 21 years, which is pretty much as long as anybody's ever an astronaut. The, the real purpose of it is to make it safer and more accessible and more part of, uh, of common life than it's ever been before, supporting other flights, helping to design the machinery, helping to set up the programs, 
and, uh, and, and making it more possible for 9- and 10-year-old kids. You're known for your use of Twitter and Facebook and space. What made you decide to use these tools, and how did it affect your life and the people around you? I, I'm a big believer in, uh, in sharing the experience, and I did my best to use whatever technology existed for each of the space flights I was on. I helped build the Russian space station near on my first space flight. And, you know, the, the social media and tools we had at that time were so primitive on the space shuttle and on space station near that there, there was really uh, almost no way to share it real time. So I would take pictures and I would talk about what I was doing, but it was film camera and such. So to get, and also time was very short. Uh, I was, it was an assembly flight, so I was only up in space for a week or two. But now, with the International Space Station, two big changes, and one is, is the time, where you know, I have evenings and some time on the weekends where I could really um, do things that, that were sort of voluntary rather than just for the timeline. But the other big change is technology. As you well know, the, uh, the ability to share a personal experience, to show people, to invite people in uh, has dramatically improved. All I, all I really did was continue what I've been doing since the beginning, but with much improved uh, technology and capability. And the reaction was, was proportionately on many orders of magnitude larger so that millions of people were following along real time just out of their own personal interest with, with what was happening on board. And that, for me, that was really great to be able to finally let people see what we're doing up there and, uh, and the kind of the wonder of what the world looks like from there. And, um, and therefore, hopefully, they could have some original thought and, and get a better sense and understanding of what it really meant to them, just like I was thinking about it when I was a kid. What is it like being in space? Being in space is bordering on the miraculous. And the reason being... The first most prosaic part of it is you're doing something that is really, really hard, but that you have prepared for so long that you can do it well. And there's a great feeling in that, a great sense of, of readiness and accomplishment. You know, like if you're a, a really good driver and someone gives you an excellent car and you can take it over through complex traffic and you just feel really smooth and good about what you're doing. So that, that's probably the simplest part. The next is when you float by a window, the whole world is is, is uh, inexplicably pouring by in front of you at five miles a second. It is more impactful, more more powerful coming into your eyes than you can prepare for. It's it's like the most gorgeous thing, sunset, waterfall, whatever that you've ever seen, all the time out the window. So it's, so that's going out your window all the time. And then, but the, the part that makes it really sort of bordering on the miraculous is that you're weightless while this is happening. So not only are you in this amazing place doing hard work with great views, but it's like you have a superpower and you can fly. And and so that combination, you know, there's all sorts of other stuff going on, but that combination of three things is, is like addictive. It's intoxicated. It's so much fun. You just you just laugh and, and wonder at it and play with it the whole time. In amongst, you know, we're running 200 experiments up there and, and uh, dealing with all of the intricacies and danger of, of living in that place. But the actual straight human experience of it is, is phenomenal. What is one thing that people don't know about you and astronauts in general that would surprise them? Astronauts are not thrill seekers. Not at all. Astronauts don't bungee jump. Or at least very few of us would. You know, we're, we're, we are not 
uh, looking to get our adrenaline running for no good reason. If we were like that, it would kill us. We'd die. You know, we, we instead try and manage risk. And not just manage risk. We, we want to push right at the edge of why something's risky and figure out how to make it less risky so that other people can do this so it becomes safer and inherently better and, and more a part of the common human stream. What are your top three pieces of career advice? Number one, have a long-term aim in mind. Two is then actively gain the skills and the personal evolution in the direction that you like to go. As you make every little decision, as you herd your life along, what you eat, what you read, what you look at, whether you walk or run or, or ride, your life is really just the result of a sequence of small decisions. And then the last part is don't become a slave to your dreams or to your long-term goals so that you hate what's going on now because someday in the future you may get to do something you like. Make a deliberate effort to enjoy what's going on, to, to celebrate the small victories, healthy thing that you never even knew about before. And at the end of the day, you can look back and go, hey, yeah, I found this new place. That was really good. It was good for me. It was tasty. That's a win. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Chris. To follow his journey, you can read his book and find him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, where he shares his travels, space adventures, and celebrity run-ins. We hope you enjoyed today's show and the amazing advice our guests provided. Remember that you can only benefit from advice if you can act on it. Before you do, we would appreciate your feedback in form of a review. You can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcatcher of your choice. Your feedback would be very much appreciated. Head over to danshawbell.com slash review now.